You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 116 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with the awesome Gina Melissa. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val, but it's very humid here. Yes. Well, you're in Melbourne, I'm in Sydney and we're having a heat wave. I reckon we win in the heat stakes because it is so, so hot here right now that I don't. I just don't know how people cope if they don't have air conditioning. No, heat's fine, Val. I don't mind the heat. Uh, it's the humidity. So, in fact, if this was a contest and uh, we were like cage fighting over this, mm-hmm. uh, I think I, humidity. I mean, no, humidity beats heat. It's humid here too. It's like it's like you're sweating like constantly. What percentage is your humidity factor? One million. No, what is it actually? Look well, it up. I don't know. No, well, tell me because, like, right. th- that's the contest. Humidity, Sydney. 51%. Yeah, 62. We win. <laughs> like, that's All not right, even humid. Right. That's just hot, Val. Okay. You're creating your own sort of humidity off the heat that's coming off your body, probably. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. All right. But- I'll give it. I'll give it to you this time because I'm too yeah. hot to argue. Right. Okay. So apart <laughs> from humidity, what have you been doing this week, photography-wise? So I uh, shot a cover this week. All the tallies coming back, Val. So um, I've been shooting. You mean all the television t- series are coming back? It, well, yeah. So. Like January, traditionally, a lot of the magazines kind of take time out and yeah. the Netflix closed down production, but now it's all amping up, so we're mm. getting back into that. So I've been shooting for that in pre-production for another couple of big shows, but as well as that, I've been uh, binge-watching a bit of telly myself. <laughs> what have you been watching? So this is bad, <laughs> but my new favourite Australian show yes. is on Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. I'm obsessed by it. Oh, my it. God. Just, Are you serious? It's fascinating. Why? The African jungle, mm. Australian ce- celebrities, and, mm. uh, you know, they don't get food. Really? And, uh, well, they don't get much food, and they, they have to sort of do all these challenges to get a decent meal, and it's just the the... I just think it's fascinating watching okay. it all. It's like Big Brother with celebrities in a jungle, which is what it is, I guess. It's like Big Brother combined with Survivor. Yes. Right, okay. All right. I wouldn't have picked you as, no, you know. Me neither. I, I don't know what show. happened. This was like an accident, like when I started <laughs> watching um, car shows about guys that travel around the uh, – 
around America collecting like old old American cars and rebuilding them. Oh. I binge watched those and loved really? it. Me, what's wrong with me? What's happening? I don't know. You're it's really odd. Mm-hmm. You're turning into a teenage who... boy. I am turning into a fourteen-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. This is what happens to it's you as you get scary. older. Because, <laughs> like, I was a fourteen-year-old girl my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you still are. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, I still am. <laughs> now I'm turning into a fourteen-year-old boy. Oh God, okay. help us all. Yeah, that's right. Well, I haven't been binge-watching. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. But I just watched Snowden, actually, which was uh, which was really good. Uh, what was that on? Snowden. It was just on yeah. Foxtel or something, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. Wow. I just, yeah, it was, it was really, it was well done. It was interesting. Anyway, this isn't, we're not Margaret and David, you know, um, on, on the we, movie show. Most uh, of our listeners wouldn't even know who we're talking about. Oh, yes. So we're not. Call an Ebert, or is that what they're called? Don't, you're asking me. <laughs> um, anyway, we're not movie reviewers. Let's plunge into the world of photography. You actually have a a link for us. Do you know? Yeah, so I heard about, and this is like, so this week we're doing an episode all about uh, how to take better landscape, amazing landscape photos, and I stumbled across the best dream job in the world for landscape photographers. So there was um, the National Park Service were looking, you know, in the States were looking for a full-time photographer to earn around 100,000 a year uh, to help take photos of the nation's parks and and also some of their, uh, like, older buildings like, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright buildings and just so travelling around documenting the history of the nation at using medium format camera, that mm. is your job every wow. day. Imagine. So you would have Pretty time. Cool. It's not like, yeah, a lot of landscape photographers who do it for the love yeah. are heading off before work to catch a sunset or after work or on the weekend or in their holidays. But if that was your real job, just yeah. imagine. So they put the call out and um, a guy And they called, said that they were looking for the next Ansel Adams. Yeah. Mm. How amazing. And a guy called Jarob uh, Ortiz got the job and ha- how fantastic and I've had a look at uh, some of the shots that he's been doing and so he's documenting like the the inside of some beautiful old buildings and uh, amazing locations what a cool job what so a they great do- job yes. I love old buildings yes. So do I. And I was just looking going wow wow I would love that job I wonder if there's the equivalent of that yeah. In Australia, we don't have that many old buildings, I guess, or that much space. But, like, you know, how cool. What do you mean, or oh, we don't have that much space? Are you serious? Oh, that the do, continent of Australia is the yeah. size of North America. Is it? Yes. <laughs> North America is a bit bigger. I always think of the whole of it's the It's the size um, of the United Americas States. And, yeah. It's the size but, of the United States. The right. Australia is the size of the United States. It's, it's, yeah. We have the space, Gina. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of bits that I haven't seen in the middle, Val. I've only skirted around the edges of Australia. I've there got isn't a, a lot really, in the middle. There's a whole bit in the middle that I haven't seen properly. 
yes, it's mainly desert. Um, yeah, but it's beautiful desert. Yes, I'm, I'm sure it is. We've seen some of it together, remember? Yes. How could I forget <laughs> that amazing trip? So you, you are probably, a lot of listeners would know this about you, that you're just like, you love trekking. You love it. You love roughing it. You love sleeping on those camp beds out under the stars. Uh, you love the one star life. You love sleeping in buses. Love. I love, love going it. to the toilet in, in little oh, holes in the ground. The ground. So Gina and I did this job where we went to Kakadu, which is in, you know, the outback of Australia. And we went, it, it was, it was a freaky experience. And yes, we camped and we had to do photography <laughs> and we had to like go to toilets in very, very primitive places to the point where I just thought I'm just going to stop eating and drinking so I don't have to go to the toilet. I didn't mind that, Val. I quite like that. It's quite liberating, you know. And yeah, like, nah. where else are you ever going to get a view like that when you're going to the toilet? I get the back of a door here at home. I don't know what your bathroom's like. Have you got a view out over the water from your bathroom? Yes. Oh, you do? Yes. Well, okay. What? There goes that argument. <laughs> <laughs> I look out onto a national park. <laughs> From the toilet? Yeah. I've got to move my toilet so that at least I see the trees here. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, it was certainly quite an experience, uh, but uh, I'm not one that I'm that keen to repeat. Anyway, well, let's move on. We want to give a shout out to Ruby Roo 2012. Now, Ruby Roo kindly left us a review on iTunes and Ruby Roo said amazing content and they said, if you were born in the 60s like me, the fact that you can look up information for free on the internet, on the internet probably still astounds you, <laughs> even more so when it is provided in a clear and concise manner with some happy banter to keep it interesting thrown in. Gina explains concepts like a teacher, ensuring the students grasp each new idea before she moves on. Valerie keeps the whole ship moving forward while asking questions that most of us also want answered. If you want a podcast that will both be inspiring and enlightening, then <laughs> this, folks, is it. There are many others out there. However, this is the one that you will come back to when you want good, solid, practical information that will move you forward in your photography journey. Subscribe now, folks. And I still cannot believe it's all free. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, Ruby. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, and it's free. <laughs> Thank you, Ruby Roo. <laughs> That's really made my day. That's fantastic. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And if any other listeners have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Now, we're going to move on to this episode's topic, which is everything you need to know to shoot amazing landscapes. Now, I have to say, I'm not that into landscapes, but I have been to lots of, you know, very nice, um, you know, places with lovely landscapes, and I have tried to take photos of them, mm. and it's that classic case of it just doesn't look like what it looks like in real yeah. life. <laughs> and the only time I 
kind of came close and managed to vaguely come close and I tried really, really, really hard like and really thought it through and worked on it and stuff and walked to places and stuff with the Grand Canyon. But, of course, the Grand Canyon is pretty stunning in itself. But in yeah. many other situations, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be in these places and then it just doesn't do it justice. So I yeah. kind of get a bit disheartened and yeah. over time I kind of, do less of it. I've done less of it, to be honest. So I'm very keen to hear uh, everything I need to know to shoot amazing landscapes. Where do we start, Gina? So I'm actually amazed that it's taken this long for us to get to this episode, Val. Yeah, 116 well. in, and now we're talking about landscapes. Probably mm. should have been the first thing. Um, yeah, well, you're right, and your experience is uh, what a lot of people experience when they photograph landscapes. Shooting landscapes is probably one of the easiest and hardest of all the photography genres. Mm. It's easy because you, in most cases only need to step outside your front door or go mm. out of town, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes and you have a location. Everyone has a landscape around around you, you know. You might see mm. it as you're driving into work each day or it might be your backyard like you have, Val. You've got a great landscape. I've got some great landscapes around me. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is that the landscapes are ever changing. So no two days that th- this landscape is never going to look the same. So you've got mm. all these elements that, that come into the way the clouds are, the, the lighting, the time of the year, the season, the, the temperature, all these variables can m- make the landscape either look amazing or kind of not met in results like nothing mm. you know so there's the thrill of the chase that I know that uh, many landscape uh, photographers experience when they're going places and especially if you're having to venture somewhere far away to like you've always dreamed of going to a particular location mm. and the difficult part comes in accurately as you said being able to capture what it actually looked like when you were standing there so like we've all been standing on a beach and the sunset's amazing and you pull your camera out and you you take a photo or you're at the top of a mountain and you take a photo of the the valley and everything that you can see and then you have a look at your your images and the results are disappointing like I Mm. wish I had a dollar valve for everyone that was showing me a a landscape photo and said oh that the photo doesn't do it justice. Yeah, you there, you know. Yes. and and so that's disappointing. And 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 the idea of taking a great landscape photo is you want to share what it felt like to be there. You mm, want to that's true. You want to keep that forever, so that that when you have that image on your wall and you're looking at it, you remember how it felt. You know that oh my god, that's it. I've captured the color of that sunset. I know that that light was like that, and those clouds were amazing like that. So there are ways, and there are things that we can do to uh, make that happen. And and it's like we all have access. It's not like we have to wait, uh, like with portrait photography, for a model to show up. We don't. You don't need lighting. You just need a minimum of equipment to shoot landscape. And I think 
learning how to shoot landscapes well is going to make you a better portrait photographer. And for those of us who are portrait photographers and loving that, I think understanding how to photograph landscapes is going to make you a better photographer all round because you're going to be able to create amazing backgrounds mm. for your portraits. And so being able to combine those two genres together, you'd like already creating like you've got the, the person in the shot that gives the uh the landscape uh, scale and perspective as well or you just have the beautiful landscape that is something like you're able to collect those beautiful memories and tell the story of what something felt like so there's a number of factors that you need to consider when you're photographing landscapes and firstly uh the one of the the reasons that we're disappointed is when you look out onto uh any scene your eyes actually are able to see a far greater tonal range than the camera so the camera can only record a small tonal range compared to your eyes and then the tonal range that your camera can record is much wider than what can be printed so like what you see on the screen then you print it and again it's uh the results are diminished so the like the printer can only pick up uh a fraction of the tonal range of the camera so we're not able to record the exact uh, amount range of colors that we see but there's things that we can do to to um, improve on that so there's some of the best parts of the scene are unable to be uh, replicated as well so like when you're standing um, at the beach fell mm-hmm. the, the, the smell of the ocean how do you replicate that in a photo mm. you could they tried in the uh, 70s with the scratch and smell T-shirt. Do you have one of those? I did. I Mine was you lemon. Had... Okay. <laughs> and they brought them back, I think, uh, I think in the uh... 90s, I remember, the scratch and smell. Scratch so... and sniff. Snit, what is what is it? I said scratch and smell, same thing. Okay. <laughs> so, you know... Could you do that with your prints that when someone walked up to your image, like a a waft of like if it was a eucalyptus Mm -hmm. forest, a waft of eucalyptus would come out so that they got the feeling of like what it felt like to be there. But that it's not, it's not the same, is it? No, one day they might be able to, but not yet. So in order to capture that experience of what it's like to be in that place, you need to uh, have really visually strong elements so that you're helping support what it felt like to be there. The other the other thing that throws everyone is metering. So when you're, say, shooting uh, a mountain and the mountain like, might be a really dark rock and you point your camera and the camera, Hans, that designed the camera meters, uh, the camera takes a reading and automatically exposes for the dark rock and uh, you get an, uh, an underexposed or overexposed image or you might be at the snow and your camera points uh you point your camera at the snow and it underexposes the image as well so you get gray snow instead of white so understanding metering is crucial to getting a great landscape shot and for those of you who uh perhaps aren't caught up in all the uh the episodes i think uh it'd be good to maybe uh stop the 
podcast now and go and listen to F66, The Matrix, Camera Metering Modes Explained Without the Need for a Science Degree. And that explains... Yes, a very how... snappy podcast title there. Camera yes. Meeting Modes yep. Explained Without the Need for a Science Degree. But it says it all. It does. So, and that really helps you because if you understand how your light meter sees, how the light meter in the camera sees and exposes, it's really going to help you get the metering uh, down uh, for your landscape photography. Mm. The other thing that uh, is hard to replicate, Val, is the colour. So capturing oh, colour. That is my biggest problem, more so than the metering. Definitely colour because sometimes I'm there and they are seriously the most amazing colours yep. ever existing. Yeah. But then my final photo is, you know, not even a fraction of that. Yeah. So interestingly enough, the eyes see differently to the camera. So um, you're, you're, you're going to always have a different experience. And uh, the white balance that you have your camera set to is going to have an effect on that. And so you'll get some more information on F66 uh, as well in uh, setting white balance. So, But basically, if you're shooting landscapes, I recommend that you set your camera to shoot in RAW as a RAW file. If you're not ready to embrace raw files yet, then shoot raw and full-size JPEG so that you can put those raw files away. And believe me, once you get the hang of raw file processing, uh, it might take a year, it might take two, it might take two months. But when you do, you're going to want to go back through your entire archive and dig out all those shots and reprocess them because you'll be so in love with them. So mm -hmm. um, that's, that's what I suggest you do and uh, set your white balance to the time of day that you're shooting. So if you're shooting on a cloudy day, set your white balance to cloudy. If you're shooting in daylight, set your white balance to daylight and that's going to be a good start and you can always tweak the white balance uh, in post-production at the end and that's going to be the easiest way. If you set your white balance to auto white balance, your camera might meter off, say, a, an overly red uh, rock that you're photographing or overly green foliage and really mess up your white balance. So that's a good little tip when you're uh, metering for landscapes. Mm -hmm. All right. So the other great thing about shooting landscapes is it's up to you how you interpret them. So, you, you know, getting that feeling across, uh, you can, it, it can be, can be like, determined by the, the, a lot of the, the choices that you make. So this includes the lens that you choose to shoot in. So if you were to shoot with a very wide lens, Val, what mm. a wide lens does is it, it exaggerates the depth of, of a shot. So, you know, if you're shooting, uh, if you want to really show off uh, an image and make it look deep and huge and the sky to look epic, then a wide lens does that. It makes the sky like look amazing, really exaggerates and makes everything look epic. If you want to uh, bring everything forward towards you, use a long lens because a, a long lens compresses everything and brings everything forward. So like mm. a lot of the shots that I did when I was in Iceland, 
there was a lot of uh, mountain ranges. I actually shot a lot of that on a long lens rather than a wide lens because the wide lens sort of made everything feel too far away and right. I didn't feel like I was focusing on everything, anything at all. But the, the long lens sort of brought everything forward and made it feel more intimate for me. And so that was just a personal choice that I made. The depth of field that you choose to shoot in. So a lot of photographers that shoot um, landscapes like to have their images sharp all the way through. So if you're shooting mm. that, you want to have a, uh, a very uh, small like uh, opening in your aperture, very narrow. So you want to be shooting F16 or F22 so that your image is sharp all the way through. Or you might want to shoot your landscapes in more of a lifestyle-y kind of a way, which is a, a way that I like to shoot landscapes. I like to have something, some a nice foreground element, and I let the background go. And that's how just how I've always uh, liked to shoot my landscape. So mm. it's up to you. How you compose the image is going to change how it looks, you might want to shoot from uh, up above, like have a bird's eye view. You might want to compose it so it's a very loose looking image. You might want to have uh, lots of foreground elements, middle elements, and then your background elements so that people sort of, you the, the eye flows through the shot. So again, the choices that you make when you do that is going to affect and influence how the shot looks. Um, how how you expose your shot valve also is going to have a huge impact on how the image looks. If you just expose, if you're photographing a sunset and you expose for the highlights, anyone or anything that's in the foreground is going to be uh, silhouette. So mm. that already changes the mood. If you expose for your shadows, you're going to bring a lot more detail into the shot and it's going to change the mood entirely. So how you want your shot to feel uh, is going to be uh, affected by how you expose. And, and that's up to you and how you want the, the shot to look. And uh, finally, Val, the post-production that you choose can also change everything. So those colours that you were talking about that weren't there, yeah. you can bring dial them in in post-production so if you didn't see the warmth you can warm the shot up mm. when you get it into Lightroom or Photoshop and that changes everything as well as uh, the camera angle that you choose so a lot of uh, I, I like to shoot a lot of my landscapes from very very low down mm. uh, and, and that's my preferred choice and you see a lot of landscape photography now that is like more aerial views with uh, lots of drones being used mm. at the moment so like it's uh, it's it, it, it all varies and that's uh, also going to have an effect. So these are all things that we've uh, talked about, composition and uh, the actual nuts and bolts of how to shoot in, in past episodes. So, But what I want to talk about, Val, is uh, actually what you need to do to go out and nail that good shot. So okay. let's talk about some things that you need to do before you leave home. So... Um, <laughs> I think uh, the it comes down to the planning. The more you plan and uh, prepare for a good sh a good landscape shot, the more you're going to get out of your shot. So if That's you just providing to, you know where you're going to, well, though, right? Mostly wandering around like I did in New Zealand for four days mm -hmm. is, you know, you can get some good stuff. But like I said, that I did aimlessly wander, but I did plan a couple of the key locations that I went to, Val, mm -hmm. and I did plan to be there. Like I arrived 
arrived the night before I had to shoot a sunrise there so that I could arrive in daylight mm. and see what the place looked like. And I did use um, things like I would use Google Street Maps or the mm-hmm. satellite view to have a look at the location. And I do that a lot when I'm shooting uh, any location. So the little Google man, you know the Google man that walks around? <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Do you know that he goes off-road as well. He's four-wheel drive Google man. Oh, really? Yeah, so there are some um, like national parks and just walking tracks. So he's not just limited to actual car roads. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say car tracks. What's a car <laughs> track? The road. <laughs> yes, car roads, yes. <laughs> he's not limited to just car tracks. So, so Google Man goes on to um, walking tracks. So, so I wonder if, if Google Man has a name. You know, yeah, like Google Man? <laughs> okay, Google Man. Wayne. <laughs> Wayne, um, okay. A Google Man sounds better, and I reckon okay. that uh, Google Man has like you know how Superman has a suit. Yeah. Google Man has one of those with a big G on the, and he's got a little okay. cape. That's how I imagine him. <laughs> Slight right. amount of muscle just sort of bulging through. He's quite hot, actually. Google Man, <laughs> my head. All right. Have you met him? Huh? Only Have in my met- dreams, Val. <laughs> Okay, anyway, we digress. Google Man can go off walking on non-car road tracks. <laughs> on 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 walking tracks, which is pretty amazing. So, like, you can do a satellite Google Man, Google Map search of your immediate area. And so mm. let's say you were trying to photograph... Um, like you wanted to photograph star trails or something like that, and you were looking for uh, a, a, like an ab- abandoned hut or what, something like what that. What trails did you say? Star trails, like you wanted stars. to photograph stars oh, or stars. something like that. Right? In the sky. Stars. Okay. What do you think I said? I wasn't sure what a star trail was. Okay. Do you know what a star trail is? Yeah. A trail that you follow if you want trail to go to stars. So up there you've got Brad and Angelina and uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, the the Google Map is great if you want to like. Often, what makes uh, a landscape interesting is to have some sort of uh, f- something interesting in the foreground as well mm. as y- your beautiful background. So it's mm. all well and good to have like a beautiful, you know, mountain range. But if you've got sort of nothing interesting to put in the foreground, it can be kind of a bit flat. So looking yeah. on Google Maps, you might find that abandoned miner's hut or, you know, right. a, uh, a bit like a all sorts of their wool sheds and things like that. Uh, yes. that, that that might be worth photographing, you're going to find them and let Google Man hunt them out for you. So that's a good way to do the pre-recce and then you've got like an exact location of where you need to go mm. and that's uh, either your local area or you might be travelling and uh, you use that to get you there. So check out thoroughly the location 
that you're going to. And the other thing that you that is really crucial, and this is something that I do as well, I have a look at the sunset and sunrise times. Mm-hmm. And if uh, you're doing something that involves water, like you might be uh, photographing a sunrise or a sunset at the beach, you want to check high and low tide because right. you don't want to be going and it's and it changes all the time. See, I didn't know this because I'm not a fisherman, Val. <laughs> so tides don't really, I don't really think about them that much, but they change mm-hmm. at all times of the year. So it's not like it's, well, I didn't know that you knew that. Don't say da like that. I can bring out right now that I just go, Valerie, everybody knows that, that you just like are clueless about. So don't make me do that. (laughs) Like I said, I'm not a fisherman. I didn't know about you. So Valerie, when did you learn about the tides? In year eight, when I was 13. At geography? Yeah. Well, I didn't go to a like that kind of school that taught us fancy <laughs> stuff like tides. <laughs> you know, I it's the moon that, that, so impact, that actually changes the tides, right? What's that? You know, it's the moon that actually changes the tides. Right? Yeah, I knew that. I knew <laughs> the moon had an influence, but okay. I didn't like. I didn't realise that it was at different times and and that. <laughs> <laughs> You don't, but you just needed to go to the school that... It's on the weather report every night. I don't... High tide, low tide. Yeah. Yeah. But so, anyway, it's important to know what time and how the tide is going to affect your shot because you might might want... that the, there is a little bit of water there in the foreground when you're yes. shooting sunrise or sunset because that's going to uh, perhaps make a nice reflection in the foreground of your shot. So well worth checking that out. And uh, if you know that there's going to be like uh, some water uh, in the area that you're shooting, you might want to think about having some sort of protective gear like gum boots or waterproof mm. boots as well. So um, getting to really understand the weather forecast is going to make you a much better landscape photographer. And this is probably and why I have stuck to portraits most of my <laughs> life. I want to interrupt this stuff bamboozles me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a tip also, if you, a good hack if you want a cheap way to um, get gum boots. I went to Target and bought them from the kids section. Yeah, but that's given that you've got child-sized feet, Val. Yes, that's true. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> I don't have child-sized feet. I have very large feet. And uh, so you also would get, when the shoes are on special and there's a sale, mm-hmm. you would clean up, wouldn't you? Because it's usually always the small sizes that are left. Ah, uh, right. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, so you're very, very lucky nice. that you could buy the child boots. So yeah. gum boots <laughs> worth having. Yeah. Um, learn to understand weather forecasts. And uh, here's a, a really good tip that uh, if you want a good uh, sunset, for a good sunset to happen, you need about 70% cloud cover. Mm, yeah. And then there needs to be the right break for the sun to come through, obviously. So mm, if you've got like a, a lot of pollution. 
Yes. If you've got a completely clear sky, it's not going to make for a very, you know, fantastic um, sunrise or sunset. So that's uh, a very important thing to check. And um, you also want to be checking the... um, the seasons and uh, what's around. So like there, there might be areas that you're looking at that there might be a particular kind of uh, flower that you wanted to photograph at, or, or like you want to go in autumn when the leaves are at a particular colour and you want to make sure that there are actually leaves on the trees and they haven't, you know, all fallen off. So all of that is all in doing your preparation. The other thing is you want to know, like the reason you want to be arriving at the location uh, a day before and not rocking up at sunrise is you'll be getting there in the dark and it's very hard to find where to park your car and how to actually get to the location if you're stumbling around in the dark. I personally don't want to be doing that at, you know, four o'clock in the morning on my own at a a remote location. So I'd rather be there, map it out the night before and uh, work out how I'm going to get to the, down to the beach, where the trail is and, and know all that ahead of time. And another really good tip is to um, ask uh, locals, in the area, if you're going to a remote area, if you get there before, where's the best place to take photos around here yeah. or try and ask other photographers who may have been there. So if you're a member of any um, good uh, photography communities like uh, like ours, Val, the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community, um, yeah. you might want to ask in there, like, has anyone ever been to this spot and where did you park and how do you get to the beach and, and uh, course, explain you, you, high tide and low tide to me, please. If you, <laughs> you want to do that, uh, then the listener community is on Facebook and all you need to do is search for so you want to be a photographer podcast community on Facebook and it's free to join. We'd love to have you in there and it's an awesome place where uh, everyone's really helpful if you ask those sorts of questions. Yes, yeah. so do continue. But really, if you if you are lucky enough to live in a in a in a, a location that does have beautiful sort of landscapes, mm. that's where you want to be photographing because the best landscape photos happen when you can go to the same spot over and over again you're going to be like you'll be it'll be luck if you get a great shot once but like the Mm. photographer that keeps going back to the same spot and really understands that yes I know every November when the sun is in that particular spot it'll it'll hit the edge of that pier that happens between November 10 and November 20 and then the sun moves around a little bit Uh, the tide is out at this time it comes in at this time you see all and when it goes out all those barnacles and the and all the rocks are, are visible that makes for a great you know it's having that knowledge of a location inside out that's going to give you the best chance of getting like epic 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 shots so if you'd like find a location nearby that you can visit often or take yourself to a location and plant yourself there for you know five or six days and then just keep going back morning night morning night and hopefully you'll get like that that epic shot that that's uh that's my advice um right and learn the tides. <laughs> I didn't go to geography in year eight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like I said, it's on the weather report every night on the television. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. I, don't watch the, I don't watch the news. You know that about me. 
Um, some tools, Val, that yes, are helpful. Tools. Uh, the photo ephemeris is, uh, it's called TPE. They've changed it because probably no one could pronounce it. It's a fantastic <laughs> uh, tool for photographers. It's an app that you can download. It's going to show you uh, where the sun is, uh, where the cloud cover is, tide times, everything you need to know uh, to plan out a good landscape shoot and uh, really be sort of ahead with all the knowledge. And we'll put um, that link to Photo Ephemeris in the show notes if you want yeah. to have a look. But it's photoephemeris.com. Yeah, so like um, I was just saying, when I uh, went was in New Zealand and I was photographing the Mer Meraki boulders, I knew that I would be there at uh, that that the, the, there would be water around, and I was smart enough to get my uh, boots, my Wellington mm. boots that I didn't get from Wellington. I should have <laughs> bought them. Why didn't I buy Wellington boots in Wellington? That would have been so cool, Val. Okay. Missing opportunity. Um, so think about all those things. Now, protection. Yes, protection. you need, you you need are... protection when you're doing landscapes? <laughs> yeah, because you never know, Val. <laughs> okay. Always got to have protection. Keep it prickly, yes. I, I, I always... Anyway, so... Um... <laughs> yes, protection when doing landscapes. Uh, so if you like if you're doing a lot of trekking then I, mm. I would invest in some good boots uh, they yes. make all the difference uh, the wrong shoes and if you're um, going over slippery rocks and things like that it, it can mm. be dangerous especially when you're carrying your gear the last mm. thing you want is to be you know slipping and um, yep. the camera goes into the water as well and just maybe having in your kit as well uh, something like that you can get these really light uh, uh, waterproof jackets and even waterproof pants that pack down really really small and you can just keep those in your kit as mm -hmm. well as um, I mean if you're thinking about even if it's uh, like summer or spring and, and you're shooting uh, early in the morning it can get quite cold and obviously northern hemisphere it, it, it can be freezing at dawn yeah. and uh, once the sun goes down so you want warm gear and the other thing that I've always felt found really useful uh, is to have those hand warmers that you like you break you rub them and they, they oh yes they're good yeah keep those in your pockets and they're really good for um, because if your camera batteries get too cold they drain really quickly so you want to keep your camera batteries uh, warm as well so you'll keep those in your in your pocket as well and uh, things like even a thermos of coffee or hot water just to have because if you're sitting there waiting for sunrise or sunset and you're freezing it's nice to have a hot drink as well just to keep you comfortable as well you mm. want a rain cover for your camera in case and uh, another handy thing to have is something like a, um, a microfiber a cloth or something that you can wipe your camera down because if you're close to like a, a water fall or somewhere mm. where there's lots of water pounding against rocks, all that mist sort of eventually makes its way onto your camera. And I've, I've had um, shots where I haven't realised that I've had like a, a couple of 
drops of water on my lens and it sort mm. of wrecks the shot. If it's windy, that sort of gets picked up and goes everywhere. So um, that that that's really important just to have like a little kit of that. Um, did I mention a little torch so that you can see? Because early in the morning and after sunset, you can't see where you're going. You're often in a remote location. So that's probably uh, the handiest thing. And uh, I see all the hardcore landscape photographers have uh, a little torch on their head. Like it goes like a head headlamp that they wear on, on the top so you can carry your gear and see where you're going at the same time. Mm. Um, uh, or a torch uh, works as well. So um, when you're arriving at the location, try and get there as early as possible. As I said, try and get there, you know, if you're going for a, a dawn shot, try and recce if you can the day before um, so that you're not stumbling around. And um, when you get there, don't, don't just uh, get the shot and leave. Often, like especially if it's a sunset, if you wait till after the sun sets and wait like good stuff happens, Val. Okay. Despite <laughs> changes, it just gets better and it can keep getting better and better. And I've been in situations where I've gone, okay, it's all done, gone, packed up, gotten into the car, looked around and gone, oh, my God, it's just starting to get good. And it's just yeah. like the colour changes and it just be, it is amazing. So always make sure that while you're there, look around, look to your left, try another vantage point, look behind you, what else is going on? Because there might be like a, uh, the moon uh, rising as the sun setting and uh, that's happened to me before where I've been on top of a building shooting, doing a fashion shoot. We're packing up and uh, we're focused forward the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, wow, amazing sunset, amazing sunset. Uh, packing up, packing up. Look, look, happened to just notice the moon rising mm-hmm. on the upside, which was incredible. So it's like, oh, no, get the light down. <laughs> Keep shooting over in this direction. So mm-hmm. it always pays to make sure that you look around. Um, Another one, and I, I'll put my hand up, I have been guilty of this. Uh, don't mm-hmm. be lazy and just go to, and probably you, Val, <laughs> don't just go to the, uh, you know how you get where where there's a beautiful location, there's the viewing spot where everyone yes, parks, yes. Parks, goes, oh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, don't go there. You've got to trek and go somewhere else. And uh, if you want a really good shot, you need to trek and uh move away from those sorts of spots. So it involves a bit of work, carrying a bit of gear, and if you're prepared to do that, you're going to get an amazing shot. That's why doing the recce the day before is uh, is going to help. So, um, yeah, so that's all, all, the, all the preparation stuff, Val. So cool. um, when you're shooting, uh, depth of field. So if you want that, mm. that shot that's sharp all the way through, you want to be shooting at around f16 to f22. When you're focusing, focus a third of the way in, and uh, that's going to help you uh, get get your focus nice and sharp. So rather than focusing at the front of the scene, right. set your focus point a third of the way in, and that's going to help you get your shot nice and smart, 
uh, nice and sharp. If cool. uh, there's a there's a there's another technique that you can use, which is called focus stacking, which means that basically you focus uh, all around the shot, you know, from the front to the back, and then you so you're taking a whole uh, lot of images, and then uh, all those images get loaded into uh, like Photoshop or and uh, and uh, the, the software will actually uh, combine the images. And, right, so you have a whole and, heap of separate images of yeah. the same thing but focusing on different, different points and and it's called focus stacking and mm -hmm. uh, i haven't actually done it i'm going to have to have a go at it and maybe do a show on it i think but yeah. uh, that's another way that you can um can get that uh really really sharp shot um mm. And uh, also be aware of what your lens's sweet spot uh, is. So it's not necessarily... What do you mean by that? that well, so a lot of people... That, that is, so if you've got a lens at wide open, it's f2.8 and mm. uh, all, all the way um, shut down is f22. People think that f22 must be the sharpest uh, mm. and not, and it's not necessarily the case. So most oh. at, at, at the extremes, wide open or closed Closed down, stop down, uh, not quite as as uh, as sharp as one to two stops in. Okay. So ah. that's called the lens of sweet spot. So be so yeah, right at the very edges. And what do you just discover it by good. trial and error? Uh, trial and error. It's good to do a uh, yeah, just do a test basically mm -hmm. and have a look. I know that my 70 to 200 is not, 22 is not its sharpest, nor is F16. F14 on that lens for me with my camera is the sharpest point. So it's uh, worth checking out. Okay. Uh, Val, when you're playing with shutter speed, mm. um, it's, it's worth um, having a think about how you want to have your image look. So if you are mm. photographing water uh, and uh, you might have like surf crashing against the rocks, mm. you might want to shoot with a really fast shutter speed to freeze the action of the rocks. That's going to give you that all that um, the fury of the waves and give you that, that that's sort of the power and that's the look that you'll get with that with the fast shutter speed. If you then uh, choose a slow shutter speed, like a long shutter speed, say 15 or 20 seconds, what's going to happen is you're going to get the water's going to become this uh, silky looking. Yeah. And it's going to the image will be serene. Mm. So completely different look just by changing the shutter speed. And then. Try both and then also uh, try in between as well. So sometimes if you've got uh, water that's uh, moving uh, around a little bit, uh, a shutter speed of maybe a 15th of a second is going to give you a little bit of movement, which also looks quite sexy in an mm. image. Um, all right, so cool. we've uh, talked about composition uh in episode 63, Val, Tic-Tac-Toe, okay. how to compose an image for maximum impact. Mm -hmm. um, and so the rule of thirds and Fibonacci is something uh, worth understanding and worth applying to your images because that's going to have a huge impact on how your shots look. So um, again, I would uh, recommend that you dig that episode out and uh, have a look. Could you give us a, a, a very quick summary so of the rule of thirds in Fibonacci? If you, say if you're doing a shot at the beach and uh, you want everything to look good, like the, the 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 default setting for most people when they're starting out is to have the horizon line 
exactly in the center of the shot. So you've got the same amount of sky. You mean, yeah, where as, the sky meets water. the water. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, in the shot so it's all symmetrical and square and so when you look at that shot it's like it well that's what it is it's even so there's there's no flow in the image so Mm -hmm. what you want to do is uh, using the rule of thirds is if you've got a really amazing looking sky with lots of sexy clouds Val you might Mm want to have the top two-thirds of your image being sky and the bottom third is water or flip it around the other way where you've got the bottom two-thirds of your image is the water and the top third is sky. What if you had a third sand, a third water and a third sky? You could do that as well, Val, Mm -hmm. if you've got sand. Mm -hmm. Yep, that works Mm -hmm. too. And if you've got something... So basically what you're saying is don't make it 50-50. Try not to make it all too symmetrical. You want yeah. it, you want when people look into the image that their eye sort of flows around nicely. If mm-hmm. you've got something, uh, say you're at the beach, Val, and you've got a, a red umbrella there uh, on the beach mm-hmm. and you want to make that shot interesting, rather than having the red umbrella dead square, dead centre of the image, mm-hmm. move it across so that it's uh, a third of the way in and you've got yeah. like a bit of empty space. And that just... Um, that, that forces the eye when it looks at the shot to move around the image rather yes. than having it dead centre, all right? So there's a whole episode, uh, EP63, that explains all of the, all those rules about uh, composition. Um, now, Val, the other thing about that, that uh, getting great shots is understanding how light works and understanding how the camera sees light. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can do an awful lot with uh, exposure when you're working with uh, landscapes and getting a lot more detail in your shadow and, and your highlights and, uh, and the way you merge your images together. And uh, the next episode that we do, I'm going to go into this in depth and that's uh, okay. HDR photography and ah, yes. merging images to bring out maximum detail in the images. Now, HDR photography is something that's had a bad rap because early on it uh, wasn't uh, it was overdone and it would the 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 things that were coming out weren't uh, weren't that pretty so um, but if it's done well it can really give you uh, like amazing images and show the tonal mm. range and the colors and the detail that your eyes are actually seeing when you stand mm. when you're standing there and so that yes. whole feeling of frustration that a lot of photographers get that it's like I saw all this stuff I took the photo yes. and just didn't do it justice Probably so what I need uh, to do mm. ne- ne- next episode uh, we'll, we'll talk about that so uh, right. when it comes to light you know when people think oh blue skies oh that's great I'll do I'll do a photo but blue skies it's like it's empty it's nothingness they can be boring so you want to be looking out for those sexy wispy clouds that really give the uh landscape a lot of drama and uh and points of interest as well so clouds are very sexy and um but if you've got a really overcast day then that's going to make your the the light really soft and even that is a perfect day to go and photograph waterfalls because you've got like uh you can is able to capture a lot more detail in the water so perfect for that so don't don't discount the uh, overcast day go and uh, don't go chase go chase waterfalls um, so, and rain and storm 
can yeah. make a really dramatic. I like this part of me that's sort of be a the valve. Yeah, yeah. See, you know, where they're getting the you see the tornado coming mm. up the lonely country road. That would be so exciting. But I'd be forever going. Oh, my camera's going to get wet. My hair's getting <laughs> wet. I just had a blow wave. I'm not happy. But uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to be a very good storm chaser, am I? No. So, <laughs> I don't think I would be either. <laughs> so um, look for uh, – so if you are, then that, that could be something, you know, heavy, dark, um, brooding skies look amazing. Look for foreground elements that are going to give your uh, image style, um, um, scale and impact. Uh, layer your – landscape shots to give them interest so you might want to have something in the foreground something in the middle ground something in the background that that adds to the uh the interest use your leading lines and your rule of thirds and look for uh uh still bodies of water that you can get reflections in so lakes oh yeah uh, water and like reflections make for very beautiful landscape shots Puddles. Puddles as well. That can work as well. But the to get a good reflection, you've got to have a still day. Mm, It needs to be mm. still. And so that's another thing. It's all about it's a waiting game and it can be it can be really addictive and quite exciting to like set off. You don't quite know what you're gonna get. You've got no control over the weather, whether it's gonna be windy, will the clouds play fair, will the light be good? You just don't know. And I think that's probably what's so exciting and addictive about it. But you know, if you use some of these techniques that we've uh, explained today and sort of start understanding how the light's working, you can come away with some fantastic landscape shots. Absolutely brilliant. So where's the next place you're going to be doing some landscape shots, Gina? You know what? I'm, I'm, th- there are a few places on my list. I really do want to go to Central Australia. Do you want to come with me? <laughs> Well, um, will we? It depends on what we'll be travelling in I'll and get what a we'll be to stay in Val. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then we have to exit the resort during the day and go to places. I yeah, can do yeah, that. We'll... I can do that. I can do that. I'll just... Can you cope? Yes. Yes. As long as we come back to the resort, I can certainly cope. Okay. Good. Yeah, mm, so I'd mm, like mm. to do that, and um, there. I, That'd you know, be cool. I mean, like anywhere in particular, because Central Australia is rather large. Um, what well, have you seen? The Rock? I haven't seen Ez Rock yet. No, it's called Uluru. I want to go. Gina. But do you want to? Huh? It's called Uluru. Uh, Uluru, is it? Mm. Yeah, I'm so Gina. in the Times. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, all around there. Yes. Is amazing. Amazing. Yes. Fantastic. All right, let's plan it. Now, in the meantime, you have a think about Hashtag Gina Challenge. Now, if you are new to us, every week we have Hashtag Gina Challenge where we pick, where we pick a particular topic. Now, that topic might be, you know, grunge or it might be black and white or it might be colour or it might be uh, water or whatever. And you can interpret that topic however you like. But what we do is we then upload into the podcast community on Facebook our interpretation of that particular topic for the week. Now, if you're listening to this episode in the future, don't worry. You can still upload your uh, your image. Just make sure you use the right hashtag. So what we do is we um, tag it with hashtag Gina Challenge and then hashtag, what is it, Gina, for this week? 
All right, this is slightly different. Uh, so the hashtag okay. is my location, Val. My location. So my hashtag Tina challenge, hashtag my location. But this yes. challenge is okay. it's more than one image. So what oh. I want people to do is to find a location near your home. Okay. Okay. And I want yes. you, so it could be your backyard. It could be the view from your balcony. It might be the uh, view out your window as you're driving to work. Uh, all right. But I right, want so you to take... it doesn't have to be like a landscape of a national park. It's just somewhere near no, you. No, no. I don't want people digging out their landscapes from national parks. Uh, okay. This is like, I really want this to be a proper exercise in understanding light and seeing what happens when you keep going back to the same spot and uh, waiting for for the right light to appear. So I want you to take a collection of photos at different times of the day and, and let's see what happens. Of the same scene, of the same, same scene. Yes. Okay, great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. All right, great. So hashtag Dina Challenge, hashtag my location. We'll love to see your shots and do let us know where you are, you know, whether you're in Nova Scotia or in or in well, Ireland or in Argentina yeah. or wherever. You know, we'd love to uh, see your shots. All right. Yep. So this brings us to the end of this week's episode. I'm looking forward to next week's about HDR and merging images because I think that's something I certainly should do more of. Um, mm -hmm. But in the meantime, Meantime, where do we find you online, Gina? So GinaMilitia.com, G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm at GinaMilitia on Twitter, at GinaMilitia on Instagram. I'm in the Facebook podcast community and I'm also in the gold community, Val. Yes, and you can find out more about Gina's gold community at GinaMilitia.com and click on join the community. It's an awesome community of fantastic, inspiring and dynamic photographers. And what happens in the community is that you get regular tutorials. I and mean, if you think these podcast episodes are good and useful and instructional, wait till you see Gina's tutorials. Uh, so you get uh, regular tutorials every month from Gina, but also the opportunity to ask Gina questions and get uh, photo critiques from Gina regularly as well and join the live monthly mastermind. And there are a lot of bonuses that only the people in the gold community get. And it's just great to see some of them, some of the members blossom. So it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Now, so you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, -O, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and you'll also see me in the Facebook group as well and the Gold community. So thank you so much for listening this week and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.